Good evening. This is Radio Free Bichelle. I'm Alphonse. Tonight, identity and desire. The Industrial Revolution posed a challenge for manufacturers because factories benefit from making more objects rather than fewer. The more you make, the cheaper each one is. So they wanted to make a lot to stay competitive. But consumers didn't want to buy that much. They needed to create new demand, more desire. The solution, of course, was advertising. Now, early advertising was informative. It would tell you about the features of the product and assume that therefore you would want to buy it. So an ad for beer might say, buy this beer, it tastes good. An ad for soap might say, buy this soap, it'll keep you clean. An ad for a car might say, buy this car, it goes fast. But advertisers soon realized that's not the best way to sell a product. If you really want someone to want the product, instead of focusing on the product and its features, you focus on how it makes you feel. You focus on an identity. You suggest that if you own this thing, then this is how you feel. This is the kind of person you will be. This is how people will see you. And these ads very frequently show someone owning or using the product. In fact, sometimes the product itself is not shown at all, just the feeling. So, for example, an ad for beer might say, if you drink this beer, you'll be this kind of person with these kinds of friends. An ad for soap might say, if you use this soap, you'll look like this person. An ad for a car might say, if you drive this car, you'll feel like the person in the ad. In other words, advertising makes us buy things by making us think that we will feel or be like a certain kind of person. It gives us a role model, something to copy, a desire to copy, with the idea that that will make us happy. Well, this is basically René Girard's theory of mimetic desire. Now, Girard wasn't talking about advertising. He based his idea on a study of great 19th century novels. But what he says is that most or all human desires don't come from within. They're not unique. We copy them by looking at other people and desiring what they have or what they want. Imagine you have a room full of all sorts of toys, and you put a couple of boys in the room. And one of the boys puts his hand on a red sports car toy. And the other boy sees the first one, and now he wants that car. Now, a moment ago, he was looking around the room. He didn't know what he wanted. But since his friend seems to want the car, so does he. Maybe his friend never wanted the car at all. Maybe he just put his hand on it without thinking about it. But now he wants it too, because his friend wants it. This is how Girard describes desire. We see what other people want, we see their desires, and we share them. Because we want to be like those people. The child who sees the other child with the red car thinks, oh, that car is making him happy. It'll make me happy too. So we pick our desires, not so much for the objects as for the people who desire the objects. We think, he wants that thing and I want to be like him. So I want that thing too. He gives an example of a saint's robe. You know, a tattered piece of fabric from a saint's robe is something that someone who wants to be close to the saint, spiritually, would want much more than they would want, say, a goblet that the saint had touched at some point. But the scrap of fabric isn't what matters. It's that closeness. It's that identification. Desire, in other words, is really about identification. 
It's not about having things. It's about identifying with people. It's about having an identity ourselves. The problem, Girard says, is that this creates strife. Because if I see what other people want, and then I want it more, and then they see what I want, and they want it more, you get this this spiral, this vicious circle, this whirlwind of desire, as more of us want more and more and more. We all want the same thing, but we can't all have it, so we end up in competition. And this, Gerard says, can lead to violence. Also, it's unsatisfying. We know this from being consumers. Often we buy things thinking, If I own that thing, it will make me feel good. But when we get the thing, we're basically disappointed. The desire before we had it was more powerful than the feeling after. Because it didn't change us. Whatever we bought did what it was supposed to do. But that wasn't the thing that we were trying to address. We were trying to fill a void inside. Girard says that modern people are basically given the message that they are free that each of us has the potential to realize our desires, to realize our dreams, to become the person that we want to be. Identity and desire, again, are basically the same thing. But we fail. And he says we fail because we're copying. If that desire came from within, then maybe we'd be able to satisfy it, and if we satisfied it, maybe we'd feel whole. But since that desire actually comes from outside, it doesn't fill up that void. But that leaves us feeling like we've been betrayed. We were given the message, the promise. You can be happy. You can be whatever you want to be. But even when we achieve our dreams, even when we achieve our desires, just like the consumer, we end up not satisfied. And then Girard says we look around at everybody else who seems to be satisfying their desires, and we think, what's wrong with me? How come everybody else is happy? I've been given the same freedom that they have, yet I've failed. What's wrong with me? And so we keep that a secret. We don't tell anybody else. He quotes a line that Dostoevsky gives about the feeling of one of his characters, that I am alone, he says, but they, meaning everybody else, are together. The irony, of course, is that everybody is together in the sense that everybody feels alone. Everybody feels that they have failed, but nobody shares the truth. There are other reasons to make secret what we really desire, Girard says. Because if we're in competition with everybody else for what we desire, the best way to get it is to conceal it. Don't let them know. If I don't let them know what I want, then they're not going to compete with me, and maybe I can get it. Of course, at some point, I have to actually admit it. I have to actually go for the thing that I want. But it's sort of like a game of chicken, where the first person to admit what he wants as the first person to lose, and the person who holds out the best, who pretends disinterest, may be the person who succeeds in the end. There's another problem, of course. Just as we believe that we're free to be whoever we want to be, we all want to be unique. We all want to be special. We don't just want to be someone who's copying what somebody else wants. We don't just want to be like somebody else. We want to be ourselves. But that romantic idea that everybody is unique with our own desires that come from within, Gerard says, just isn't so. But what happens when you realize that? What happens when you realize that all of your desires are copies, that you're just imitating other people? Well, he suggests there are two possible outcomes. One is to just give in and say, you know what? I'm copying my desire, but I'm going to go with it. I'm just going to imitate this person and try to be like them. 
He describes that as being like a slave. The other option is to maintain one's pride and say, I'm not going to let other people control me. I'm going to be my own person. But the only way to do that, then, is to give up desire, to say, I don't want anything. I don't care. It's a nihilistic perspective that Girard compares to a progress toward death. Girard says there's another way that we can resolve our problems around desire. If we're failing to satisfy our desires, if we're failing to become the people that we want to be, if we're all competing for the same thing and we find that there's strife among all of us, then we can turn on someone else. We can turn on someone who seems to be different, an outsider, and blame them. Maybe they caused all of this strife. Maybe they're the one who's blocking me from finding my identity. Maybe that person is the person who needs to suffer, to be punished for creating this whole problem. And then the desire for objects turns into the desire to victimize that person, the desire to scapegoat that person. And then the group that might have all been competing and might have been hating each other turns out now to all be in agreement, all on the same side, all against the one. And that one is scapegoated. And then the problem is resolved, at least temporarily. So Girard proposes that collective violence is the result of people imitating one another's desires, trying to achieve their identities, failing, and finding a scapegoat to resolve the issue and restore some harmony. And Girard proposes that throughout history, one of the most common solutions for competition, where everybody has the same desire, for the failure to achieve our identities, although he doesn't use that word, is scapegoating. It's collective violence. This is Alphonse for Radio Free Bichelle, www.bezdl.ca. Good night.